Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Why this text? Well, three reasons. One is I believe in what's called expository preaching. Expository preaching meaning that when you preach, you let God determine the message for the congregation. And as Jason and I, way back when, I forget when, June or something, we were planning what we would preach for the fall. This was the text for this particular day, and we did not know this would happen on this particular day. But this is the text that God would have for us today. Secondly, the other reason why I'm staying with this text is that it is a very Christ-exalting text. There are few sites of Christ in Scripture like this one. And thirdly, the reason why I'm sticking with this text is because you see this incredible combination of the Old and the New Testament here. That if we want to understand this text, we need to understand the Old Testament because what the Old and New Testaments are, they're not two different books. It is one book about one God saving one people. So if I could say what a potential philosophy of ministry would be, it would be this. That we would preach the whole Christ from the whole Bible to make whole Christians. So with that in mind, Matthew chapter 17, we'll read verses 1 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold... A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we're asking that you would help us to listen to you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we know that you are the speaking God. Father, we know that you sent your Son, he who is the Word, the Word who dwelt among us who took on flesh and Holy Spirit you are the one who was sent from the Father and the Son so that we might hear him and so we do ask that we would listen to him this morning we do ask that you would do all that it takes to bring us near to you that the focus would be on you that our eyes would behold you and Lord for all the things today that might be clamoring for our attention may we see Jesus only. And we ask all this in his name. Amen. There's a story about two psychiatrists who went to 
their 20th college reunion. One was a vibrant young man, while the other looked withered and worried. So what's your secret, the older-looking older psychiatrist asked the younger-looking one. Listening, this is what the older psychiatrist said, listening to other people's problems every day, all day long, for years on end, has made an old man of me. The younger one, looking around, clearly distracted, he replied, wait, who's listening? What are the distract? yes, there you go, it's a little bit of a ticking time bomb. Um, what are the distractions that are taking your focus off Jesus? Who is clamoring for your most focused attention in this life? One of the very interesting studies that came out uh, after, uh, or I guess sometime in 2021, is how COVID had revealed how loud our world really is. It had talked about in this article about how we had not realized how much stuff we were trying to listen to until there was finally a little bit of silence. You see, we are being begged by so many different parties in the world today that they're all saying, listen to me, listen to me. And the question does come to us saying, who are you listening to most? What this text is telling us, what God is telling us from his word this morning is this, listen to Jesus. Simple point, listen to Jesus. Go back to verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. We see Jesus here, it says that after six days, where have they been, was Jason pointed out last week. They've been in Caesarea Philippi, which Jason beautifully brought out last week. It's a key context. So they've, they've been in Caesarea Philippi for the past six days. And just as a reminder, what, what was that place? What was that region? Well, Herod had built a temple and dedicated it to Augustus Caesar. It was a place, Caesar Philippi was a place that was showing who was really ruling and who was worthy of worship. And it was in that context, in that setting, where Peter makes that claim saying, no, actually, you are the one who is truly ruling. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus praises that confession. Now, it's very interesting, the section right after that. Peter, no doubt, probably feels great, feeling like, I'm doing pretty good. And then Jesus says, in the face of that, he says that he is going to die and rise again. And Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, chapter 16, verse 22. This shall never happen to you. That is when, verse 23, it says, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So that was not a very good moment for Peter. We also see Jesus further unpacking that to the disciples when he says, Look, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Peter was certainly a man who went through a lot of highs and lows and sometimes looked great, sometimes looked like, well, us. Isn't it very interesting that even in the face of failure, 
that Jesus still looks at Peter and says, I want you to come see something with me. It says after six days. Matthew is doing something very intentional here. Yes, he is recording real facts, but he is deliberately recording the facts that you need to understand most because one of the things that Matthew is doing throughout his entire letter here is that he is trying to show you that the Jesus who really walked in the flesh, who really did these things, he is the same God of the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 through 2, we see that Moses would also walk up on a mountain after six days with three people. You see, Jesus always had his mind on the Old Testament scriptures. That's the reason why he said what he said and why he did what he did. Now, you need to ask the question... Well, how do we know that this is true? How do we know this really happened? That's a great question. Well, for one, we know that it happened. Here's, I'll give you four quick reasons. First off, because Peter was willing to humble himself and record a lot of his, well, very dumb mistakes. If you were wanting to make your, yourself look awesome, then why let all these other things about your failures be recorded? Second reason, these men died believing this happened. You don't just die just to be a martyr. You, you, you die when you're in the, at the face of such persecution as they were. Even with Peter, the story we hear from church history is that he was crucified upside down. And buddy, you better believe that really happened if you're going to go through that. Third reason, Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any connection or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. That was very much carried over in this time that if there were three witnesses, it was considered as valid. Reason number four, we can trust this. Peter himself wrote in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18 this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, notice what he's particularly going to bring up that he was an eyewitness to. For when we received... Uh, or excuse me, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Does that sound familiar? We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. It's not a question of if this happened. The question is how will you respond to it? Listen to Jesus. We see that at the end of verse 1, he goes up on a high mountain. Mountain actually has a big theme of, uh, is a big theme of the book of Matthew. Jesus defeated one of Satan's big temptations on a mountain in Matthew chapter 4. The Sermon on the Mount was in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Right after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus came down and he healed someone. And you see that again, actually, after this very scenario when he comes down from the mountain. It was up on the mountain that Jesus was praying to the Father in Matthew 14 before he would go down and walk on water to his disciples. 
It was on the mountain that Jesus would heal people in Matthew chapter 15. It was on the mountain that Jesus would give what's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. And it was on a mountain in Matthew 28 when Jesus gave the Great Commission. My friends, when you read about a mountain in the Gospels, it's important. Because throughout Scripture, it has been on mountains where God has done significant work at revealing himself. Matter of fact, we see actually that how the rivers flowed down in the Garden of Eden, we know that Eden itself was a mountain. We know that God gave the law to his people at Mount Sinai. We know that the blessings and curses of the covenant were pronounced in Deuteronomy from two different mountains. We also see that Jerusalem was also called Mount Zion, and we know that we are going home to the great mountain, the New Eden. You see, Matthew is not trying just to record just a random incident in the life of Jesus. He's trying to show you that something massive is happening. Because as God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 19 and 20 on Mount Sinai, so this is what Jesus is doing for Peter and James and John. Exodus 19 verse 9 says, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. Does that sound familiar? That the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Exodus 19, 16 through 20 talks about how on that mountain there was thunder and lightning and thick clouds and God spoke. Exodus 34, Moses asked to see God's glory and he goes up on Mount Sinai and God shows Moses, as it were, the backside of his glory and Moses' face reflected, shining like a star. What is Matthew saying about this Jesus right here? That the same God of the Old Testament, the God who has run this world throughout its, its entire history, The God who performed the ten plagues, the God who gave the ten commandments, the God who gave the covenant to David and the new covenant and everything else, the same God is Jesus Christ. That is who he is. It's interesting, though, that it says, look at verses 2 through 3, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. When it says Jesus was transfigured, what does that mean? Well, it's, the Greek word is where we get our word today for metamorphosis. Jesus somehow was transfigured, transformed while not stopping to be a man, but rather it was as if his true identity was being shown, was being revealed. This word is used not merely to say he was reflecting God's glory, but that he was emanating God's glory. What this is showing to Peter and James and John and to us who who have been reading this throughout the years is that Jesus is the glory of God. Amen? Jesus' face said it shone like the sun. Moses' face was merely reflecting a bright light. Jesus' face was emanating it. We actually, very interestingly, John in Revelation 1, 13 through 16, when he describes Jesus' face, he describes it in the same way. You see, Moses was more like the moon that reflected the sun, but Jesus is the sun. 
Moses was a great prophet, but Jesus is the great prophet. See, this is not like the Wizard of Oz, where you have this big showing, but really it is just a normal man behind the curtain. Matter of fact, it is the opposite here, because when you look at Jesus, he looks just like a normal dude. There was nothing about him whenever he played games in his hometown, or whenever he you know, I don't know if he ran and someone said, that must be God. He was normal. He was actually very poor and homeless. But then here, the veil is pulled back and you see he is more than a man. He is indeed God. Listen to Jesus. You see, there's another thing we need to see here because it says that his clothes became white as light. You see later talking about the cloud that overshadowed them. What in the world is this talking about? You see, remember Matthew's big theme in his book is to show you that the same God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. So what is Matthew wanting you to see? Yes, these things really happened. There were eyewitnesses to these things. But what is he trying to show you? What is the truth of this? In Daniel chapter 7, There is the vision that Daniel has of the Son of Man who ascended to the right hand of the Ancient of Days. In Daniel 7, verses 9 through 10, you see the Ancient of Days who's talking about God himself, that he takes his seat on the throne, and to him was given dominion and authority in the kingdom, and he, he ruled over all evil, he ruled over all powers, he ruled over all governments and all people, and his clothing was white. Jesus is wearing that same clothing. We see that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 11, that there was a beast who is killed, and then the Son of Man ascends into heaven. And no doubt, that is what Jesus did when he came to this earth, that he slayed Satan, he slayed the beast, he slayed that great serpent, as Genesis 3.15 said he would, and then he ascended into heaven with the clouds. You see, Jesus, as it says in Daniel chapter 7, that by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he receives all glory, all the kingdoms, all the peoples, all the nations, and eternal dominion. My friends, don't you see who Matthew is showing you? This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one who all people have been waiting for. And what Matthew is trying to show you is this. If you listen to anyone, listen to Jesus. There's also these two prophets. Look at verse 3. These two prophets who just show up. You're kind of wondering, you're like, is this random? Why are these two guys here? The two prophets in verse 3 are Moses and Elijah. Now listen to the parallel about this. Moses and Elijah are considered the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament, but it was prophesied that a greater Moses would come. It was prophesied in Malachi 4 that another Elijah would show up and prepare the way for Yahweh. Both prophets were rejected by the people of their day. Both prophets performed miracles on mountains. You see, both prophets we see in Luke 9.31 Uh, that when they're talking with Jesus, what are they talking about? They're talking about his departure. They're talking about his exodus. Because what is Jesus about to do? The same God who delivered his people in Egypt from bondage, 
Jesus is going to bring about a greater redemption, a greater rescuing from greater bondage. Is this not amazing? I mean, is this not like Gladiator after, what's his name, slays his enemies and he looks out and the crowd's quiet and he says, are you not entertained? My friends, there is no one like this. There is absolutely no one like this. No one should have our attention more than Jesus Christ. And that is why the Father spoke from heaven saying, listen to him. Who is Jesus? My friends, Jesus is the deliverer of God's people from bondage to sin. Jesus is the one who slays Satan. Jesus is the one who has conquered death. Jesus is the liberator. Jesus is the one true God. Jesus is the divine warrior king. Jesus, as the divine warrior king, he's the one who fights on our behalf and he slays our enemies. Jesus is also the one who is treated the way we should have been treated. There is no one like Jesus. And that is why we should listen to Jesus. Look at verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. The highs and lows of Peter, right? (laughs) Isn't it interesting that we can see ourselves like Peter here? Because we see here a picture of whenever someone who is, as it were, escalated in pride, whenever they make a fool of themselves, they go about trying to prove themselves again so that they can earn that respect back. Haven't we also found ourselves in those cycles of maybe we've received a great honor or encouragement for us by someone, which is great, and it swells us up with pride, but then we're humble because we get something wrong, and then we go about life trying to prove ourselves. Don't you see it happening with Peter? I can get it back and sound great. But often our pride gets us in trouble. Peter says, Lord, it's good that we're here. What does he mean? He means more so that it's pleasant. It's profitable. It's desirable. It's easy. It's almost as if he's saying, this feel-good Christianity is great. Everything's going to be perfect. People won't believe what we've seen. They're going to be so jealous of us. We're the guys who were invited to be with the best of the best. It is interesting that when we have prideful hearts and the Lord gives us great moments, that we often focus more on those moments rather than the God who gave us those moments. This is what we call a theology of glory. Luther very frequently taught his people that there's two different things, two different types of theologians, two different types of Christians. You are either a theologian of glory or a theologian of the cross. And either you seek glory and renown and honor, whatever it is, for yourself. And you might very well even use the name of Christ in that. But when you seek glory and honor for yourself, it ends in condemnation. But rather, the theologians of the cross, they see that before Christ entered glory, he suffered. That before Christ gathered all his people, that he was persecuted. The theologians of the cross see that, matter of fact, God is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory actually through suffering. 
It is interesting how we see Peter here, he is wanting that glory. But the Father is saying, listen to him. He says he wants to build three tents. It's the same word used for Jesus when it says in John 1.14 that he dwelt among us, which is the same word used to say he tabernacled amongst us. The tabernacle would be the place where God's glory would dwell with his people. It's the same word also used in Revelation 21 where it says, and God will dwell with his people. The same word for tent is the same word for tabernacle or dwelling place. There could be, as some people think, could be it's the idea that Peter is too much putting Moses and Elijah on Jesus' level. At, at some level, that is true. And that's why he's going to be rebuked. But there's also the idea that maybe Peter was thinking about the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was a time of seven days. It was a festival where people would build booths of straw and branches and they would live in them and it would remind them of Israel living in the wilderness uh, for 40 years and God would provide for them. It was a time when they would celebrate the exodus. Here's the thing about Peter. Peter does not understand the new exodus that Jesus is bringing. He does not understand it accurately. He thinks it's merely going to be an earthly war, an earthly victory, an earthly kingdom right here, right now. He wants what so many of us want today, that utopia. Peter just wants to stay in this experience of glory, but he doesn't realize that the exodus has actually happened through the Passover lamb. And that the glory only comes after the cross. See, we too have that longing for permanence, comfort, ease. It does show what we're made for. We are not made originally to die. Be reminded that whenever you go to a funeral, death is not normal. It might be happening to everyone but death is not originally the plan of God death is a foreigner death shows us that things are not right because we were meant to live with God forever we long for permanence but we need to remember that the only permanence is in heaven as I mentioned earlier we love to think about in all these different ways, whether in Hollywood or in real life, we love to figure out ways where we can create that modern utopia. Because we want the life here that is filled with all the good things that makes us so comfortable, that makes it so easy. And it's a very seductive temptation. And it's often why today we see Christians, at least professing Christians... They abandon biblical ethics and they abandon trusted doctrines as soon as they feel any pressure from the outside or even inside the church. But we forget that God is preparing us for true permanence, true comfort, and true ease. But it is not in this lifetime, it is in the next. Amen? Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26 says, says this, says, you know, there we go, southern accent, sorry. 
Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That does not sound very comfortable. But whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It is not saying that the sufferings that you go through that suck it up. It's not that big of a deal. It's not saying that at all. It is hard. It is very difficult. The things you feel bodily and in your soul, they are most difficult. But how glorious is heaven? How glorious will that place be? That as we look back on this life, we will say, didn't compare at all. Did not compare at all. I remember David Strain coming to preach to my youth group at our last calling in Jackson, Mississippi. And he was preaching from Romans 5. And he gave this example that I guarantee I could still call up students who were there and they would remember it. And he was talking about the purpose of how God uses suffering in our lives. And he said that there was this lake, and I believe he said it was his hometown. And, and he would go to this lake, and he would often go there, and he would pick up some of these rocks, and they were so smooth, and he would skip them, and they could just go forever. But then he kept asking the question, why are these rocks so smooth? Because the waves, even small, sometimes big, they would just keep crashing onto them. My friends, what God is doing in your life through the sufferings that he allows, maybe it's the sufferings of people persecuting you, maybe it's the sufferings that you feel when you're burdened so greatly by the guilt of your sin, but he is using those sufferings and as they crash upon you, he is smoothing you out. It's going to take a lifetime, but in that season, he is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. That's what he's doing. Listen to Jesus. Look at verses 5 through 6. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, and they were terrified. I would be too. You see the escalation of this plot here, this, this story, that all of a sudden they think things are great, and all of a sudden, boom, another character enters the story. You see this cloud overshadowing them, and it being bright. You see, we had mentioned this cloud in Daniel chapter 7, but this cloud is also mentioned in the book of Exodus, because when God led his people out of Egypt, he led them by a pillar of fire and cloud. When the tabernacle was built, it said that the glory cloud, the Shekinah cloud, descended upon the tabernacle. And it would descend upon the temple. The cloud represents the presence of Yahweh, who is Jesus Christ. It's amazing that when the Father speaks, you can imagine what they felt. All of a sudden, hearing Another voice, no doubt, probably a loud voice just like it was at Exodus 19. But he calls Jesus, he says, my beloved son. That is filled with meaning. Please come nerd out with me after this so we can talk about it. 
But here is what it is saying first and foremost is this. That Jesus Christ is the Son of the Father. Not a Son who came into being at some point in history. He is the eternally begotten Son. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God himself. And the Father is affirming this in front of Peter and James and John. He is saying, when you see him, you see me. Isn't that amazing to hear my beloved son? Because don't we long for that belonging? You see, but it's because Jesus Christ is the beloved son that Paul will say in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. For what purpose? So that we might receive adoption as sons. We might have the belonging, but you only get it in Christ. The same love that the Father has loved the Son with for all eternity, with infinite wisdom and power and delight. Jesus prays in John 17 that that same love be upon you. That's amazing. We're always searching for those voices that might tell us we belong But the Father is telling us, listen to Jesus, because that's the only place where you will find true belonging. He says also, I am well pleased with my son. We don't just have a longing for belonging, we have a longing for approval. It's often why we can cave, unfortunately, under ethical or moral pressure, because we just want to be approved. It's often why we can also just be enslaved to other people's opinions and we will just do whatever they ask of us because we just want to have approval from them. But Jesus Christ is the only one who earned that perfect approval as a man on earth. He perfectly obeyed the law of God. He obeyed it not just in his actions but in his affections, in body and in soul. He was absolutely perfect. And here is what's amazing is that when you come to Jesus Christ, his record, his righteousness is yours. You know what's even more amazing? That Jesus is not merely a man. But he is the infinite God of infinite worth and infinite value. So that righteousness that you get, it is infinite in value. You cannot out his grace. You cannot outrun his mercy. See, the Father is also saying, listen to him. It reminds us of Deuteronomy 18 that Jesus is going to be the greater Moses. It's also as if he's telling Peter, Peter, stop listening to yourself. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus when he says he must die and rise again before entering glory. Listen to Jesus when he says you must take up your cross and follow him. Listen to Jesus when he says that your suffering of all kinds, it is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. My friends, listen to Jesus. They're terrified. I would be too. (laughs) They're terrified and they fall down because they see someone who is so much greater than them. And certainly when we see the glory of God and when we see his law, we do see that we can't measure up. And my friends, one of the best things that can happen to us is that we are humbled and that we fall before him. 
But what does Jesus do? Jesus does not just sit there and rake them over the coals. Peter, you did it again. (laughs) That's what we often think. See, I think it's very interesting. I saw a video this week of it was a virtual reality simulator, and it was a simulator of someone who would be the quote-unquote God or whatever the simulator was trying to do. And, and they were up in the sky, and they flew down to the earth, and they saw this other person walking on the road, and they tried waving to this person. The person didn't wave back, and they rose back up in the sky and rained, rained lava down on there. And you might be like, well, that just happens in video games. But maybe that video game is actually revealing what we would truly be like if we had all that authority and power. My friends, Jesus is not like us. Do not put Jesus's, do not, or this way, don't look at Jesus the way you think you would act if you were in that situation. He is far more merciful, far more gracious, far more loving. He is the one who says in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, that I am gentle and lowly in heart. And so what does Jesus do? He goes over and it says, he touched them. When Matthew uses that word for touch, it means that he would heal people. My friends, when you are burdened by God's law, you need to see the Jesus who comes to you. And as it were, he touches your conscience. And he says, rise and have no fear. Verse 8, they lifted up their eyes and they saw no one but Jesus. No one but Jesus only. It is to tell us that no one compares to him. No other voices should compete with his. There are no other rulers like him. There are no other law fulfillers. There are no other righteousness that is sufficient. There are no other warriors that can defeat our enemies. There is no other forgiveness that will cut it. But it is Jesus only. Here's what's amazing. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul will say that when we look at Jesus, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. That same Greek word for transform is the same Greek word here for transfigured. How are you beautified, Grace Presbyterian Church? How will you eventually be glorified? Not by being distracted, but by looking at him. The more you see him in all of his glory, in all of his mercy, in all of his forgiveness, in all of his holiness, when you obsess over him, he will transform you, especially when you don't feel it. And one day, as John says in 1 John 3, 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Amen? My friends, listen to Jesus. Don't get distracted. Don't have greater emphases than him. Don't have different competing voices. Don't let anything match his word. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't miss the person amidst the principles. Don't seek what you desire outside of him. Don't let anything else rival him because there are no rivals. What's amazing is that this Jesus, who shone like the sun, who had clothes bright as light, he would eventually go to the cross, and instead of being surrounded by friends, he would be surrounded by criminals. 
Instead of having bright clothes, he would be stripped naked. Instead of the Shekinah glory, that bright cloud surrounding him, there would be clouds of darkness at noon. Instead of hearing, you are my beloved son, Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There would not be encouragement for him in that hour. There would be temptation for him to come down from the cross. But my friends, it is through the suffering of Jesus on the cross as he takes God's wrath that you and I might not ever have to experience that. Do you want to partake in this glory? you got to run to him with all your sins, with all your suffering, and he will redeem you. Grace Presbyterian Church, listen to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would give us ears to hear. We ask that you would help us to keep our focus on him. Lord Jesus, there is no one like you. And so we're asking that we would be refreshed in the glorious truth of the gospel. We ask all this in your name. Amen.